Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The nightmare continues. Chicago Tribune sports page. Really? Column by Stephen Rosenblum. Steve Rosenblum. You know him? Never heard the name before yet. Steve Rosenblum. I think Chance the Rabbi is the way to go. Brian Peruk. Well, when's he coming back? I said, you want to come back? And it was an emphatic, no. We're glad he misses us. Sitting in for Mike Esposito, who's sitting in for Jordan Burnfield, who's sitting in for Wayne Randazzo, who's sitting in for Mark Grody, who's sitting in for Brian Peruk. It's Matt Spiegel. This is funny, because we're trying so hard to make this funny, and it's not funny. They suck, so you don't have to. Baseball is full of suck right now. For some reason, they sing. With a duck-duck here and a quack-quack there, right? Take the last train to Turdsville, and we'll meet you at the station. Take the last train to Turdsville. They're in need of sanitation, don't you know? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. They won't stop singing. Lido. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's a master's course in stupid. You're tapping two kegs of stupid, and it is really flowing. What percentage is five bucks uh, on a hundred? They have celebrity rebukes. This is Wayne Messmer, Senior Executive Vice President of the Wolves. You know, in all my years involved in sports and many teams, I have never been involved with something that sucks so badly. The three words that best describe this show are as follows, and I quote, Stink, stank, stunk. It's Rosenblum and Spiegel on WSCR. 670 the score. We should be 670 WSUK. All right, so, so how do we do this now? I'm sitting in for Steve Rosenblum, and now Nick Shepkowski is sitting in for me? Who's sitting in for Mark Grody, who's sitting in for Wayne Randazzo, Brian Peruk, and everyone else? Man, That's how this works? I just, my favorite part of Saturdays is the Brian Peruk reference in that open. I think that's my favorite part. It doesn't say a lot about Steve Rosenblum or Bruce Levine, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, the truth is what it is, Shep. You play the hand you're dealt, and unfortunately for you, Saturday mornings, you're stuck with Bruce and with no. Rosie, and, uh, and that's you. what you get. And Today me. I get you. There you go. I, you know, I, I love, I love, um, I love my aged Jews. Um, it's just that every once in a while, I like to trade one in, and I get myself a, a young Cole Sidian. There you go. Uh, I thought you're you're in the burbs now. Where are you? Arlington Heights. Arlington right? Heights. It's funny you bring up Brian Peruk's name because he literally lives like right down the block from me. Ah, uh, you guys. It's now you can very get together. Close neighborhood. Yeah. It's a. You guys hang out, talk, talk radio, talk business while you're like taking out the radio, trash. Um, I don't know. Like radio mecca is pretty much what it is. Me, Brian Peruk, Mike Esposito's not too far oh, away. Boy. Then you throw in Joe Bartosh. He's on the other side of the railroad tracks. It's like you can't 
can't go anywhere and not get all the radio discussion you want. These are pillars of the business all hanging out together. My God, let's start a station. Seriously. <laughs> let's go. Put it out there. You don't have to commute in. Oh. Man, life will be easy. Uh, good morning to you, Shep. Uh, good to see you. Uh, let's talk some sports. What do you say? Sounds huh? good to me. All right, sports, man. sports, sports. Sporty, sports, 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 sports. This hour of sports is brought to you by the Progressive International Motorcycle Show, February 15th to 17th. At the Donald E. Stevens Convention Center. All right, so l- let me ask you this. We're going to talk to Will Purdue later, by the way. Yeah, uh, looking forward to that because mm-hmm. it is tomorrow is Michael Jordan's birthday. Going to get some Jordan stories out of him in honor of that, and then just some Bulls and NBA discussion during the All-Star break as well. Jordan is going to be 56 years old. Yeah, it doesn't seem possible. It doesn't <laughs> seem possible. I don't appreciate it. It makes me feel old, frankly. Um, it, it bothers me. He still looks like he could, um, drop 25 on, uh, yeah. at, at least, at least on this bulls, at least on, the, on this, on this bulls team, you know, it looks like he could, but he, and he's a terrible executive for now a, a very long time. He's established as himself as one of the worst executives in, in the NBA, but my God, 56 years old. And it's, um, it's fitting with the dunk contest going tonight. That, uh, that we think a little MJ and talk a little MJ. Yeah, so who's the Charlotte Hornet then that's going to get the dunk contest title uh, handed to them and stolen from Dominique Wilkins if, if it's in honor of Michael Jordan like that one was? Uh, yeah, Guys repeating dunks from the year ago that he won it on. You can't tell me he deserved to win that. No, that I, I, look. Hometown I, I'm, handout um, if I've ever seen one. Well, you, you just shut your dirty whore <laughs> mouth. You are bad-mouthing the king. Right there. It you don't do that. It just wasn't an original dunk. He had already won with it. Uh, who's in the dunk contest tonight? That's a great question. Right? I'm more excited about the three-point contest because we got hot curry on curry action. We mm-hmm. have curry brothers going against each other. And I think we've got Clay back in that thing. The three-point, like, the best three-point shooters in the game do not turn down the three-point contest these days. Devin Booker, I think, won it last year, and he's a beast, and that thing is fun to watch. Yeah, you are correct. Um... Yeah, Got the dunkers for me? I am looking for the dunkers right here well, let's for see. you. Miles Bridges, John Collins, Dennis Smith Jr., and... Wow, Dennis Smith Jr. It says there's one more. I can't find mm. it. Three of the four, though. Why is there only four? Mm. Uh, yeah, because they just... They just they Shrunken just and shrunks and shrinks and... Yeah. Yeah, they have indeed. Um, so, all right, so you got we got that going on. But but let me ask you, as a as a baseball guy who you love the game as, as much as I do... Mm-hmm. A ton of stories this week, a ton of of angles on on the Cubs, especially like big picture stuff. You got TV network, you have racist emails, you have Addison Russell returning. All the fun stuff. Yeah, right. All 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 the stuff stuff. that we got into this business to discuss, right? (laughs) That's why we're here. But of all the baseball angles percolating around your brain, what's the one that has come to the surface and demanded its way out of your mouth? Mine is legit Cubs concern. And obviously an offseason that left a lot to be desired for Cubs fans everywhere because of the lack of anything added on, lack of moves, lack of, all right, going to be the same thing as last year put out there and really testing and trusting your guys. I get it, 195 games, but it's in a division that got significantly better and not just one or two teams got significantly better. Mm-hmm. Like Every team got better. 
the Brewers won the division last year, and okay, Chris Bryant was hurt a good chunk of the year. He got nothing from you, Darvish. I've heard all of the reasons that the Cubs didn't win the division. But the Brewers go out, and what was one of their weakest spots last season? Catcher. The catcher position. Who do they go and get? Yasmani Grandal. On a, on a one-year deal, not much lower than what the qualifying offer would have been. He's going to go on a prove-it deal there and then try to hit the market again next year. Yeah, so you add that. I get it. The bullpen bullpens fluctuate year to year. Can think, Milwaukee's be as good as it was last season? You think the Pirates got better or just with a, with a full year of Chris full Archer? Full year of Archer. I think that, I mean, that makes them better over 162 than they were last season. I don't think they made like a great leap. Mm. But then you look at the Cardinals. Add perennial top three MVP candidate and Paul Goldschmidt. Oh, okay, boy. one of the absolute best hitters, forget just the National League, yeah. in all of baseball. That's added to go through. And then the Cincinnati Reds, who have been kind of throwing things away for the last six, seven years, really mm-hmm. since Dusty's last run, look like they're going to be a team that's at least worthy of watching. I don't know if they're going to be any good. No, but they're trying to be competitive. But they're not going to be a 65-win team either. That's a, that's a good point. Chase that 500. They're one of the rare bottom feeders that has chosen mediocrity. They're attempting mediocrity, which doesn't happen very often these days. And right. that's a that's not the right team to have the, at the bottom of a division this tough. Yeah, because you need you need at least one tanker. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't long ago that this division there were three tankers. There were there were three absolute nothings there a few years ago. Uh, now you don't have any of those. Yeah, you don't Zero. have any of that. You have all teams that you think are going to chase and be roughly around 500 this season. I have to and think that that's a big part of why the Pakoda algorithms spit out the dispassionate numbers and unexciting uh, and, and uninspiring numbers that it did. It's just the quality of the division. Yeah, I think you're is the biggest thing. What is it? 72 games you play divisionally. You play 19 against each of your division opponents. Mm-hmm. So I think that works out to be 72. Or wait, 76. 18, 18 18, is it? 18 would be 18, 72. 32, 72. Okay, so yeah. it's somewhere between 72 and 76 games, somewhere in there of what you play against your division. So it's legit nearly half your schedule it's working out to be. I just look at it, and it's like the rest of the division got better significantly, like in very key parts. Mm. And so much of what the Cubs are built on, it's not like it's the second year of a lot of these guys. It's There's some substantial amounts of playing time that you've seen for guys you're counting on to take a big step that just, I mean, Counting on more than one of them. Wilson Contreras was a disaster last season. Offensively, yes, he has a strong arm defensively, but he can't frame pitches worthwhile. That's a concern. I mean, his slugging that was in the threes post-All-Star break last year, that's more than just a concern. You can't survive with that. There's a sad truth that everyone slowly began to realize along the way in this Cubs offseason. And it didn't start that way because of what your expectations were financially, the way you have dreamed at this free agent market, the way you have you know decoded Instagram posts for two years, mm-hmm. um, and because of the anger of Theo Epstein in his postseason conversation when he spent an hour telling you that they were broken and things are going to change, the slow realization of just how hamstrung they were financially and it it kind of it just kind of kept creeping and creeping and you weren't sure and you're like what am i hearing are they still gonna do it and people were holding out harper hope even until what a month ago right some people still have this weird little thing cubs convention came and i think (sighs) a few other people like chris bryant who's close with bryce harper like yeah he's not coming here the moment the moment when i knew just how stark and how bad things were 
I think the saddest moment in, in, in from a baseball perspective of the Cubs offseason is when they couldn't keep Jesse Chavez. Jesse freaking Chavez, who was a really good, flexible pitcher. Any role you want, do anything you want, just go out there, deliver, go right down the plate, attack guys. Apparently a great clubhouse guy, loved being here, said he absolutely loved it here, wanted to be here, and they couldn't sign him. They couldn't keep it. He wanted to be here. You know how hard it is to find consistent, just sort of basic, affordable bullpen guys? No team in the middle of their winning window should have a problem keeping a guy like Jesse Chavez. Right. It just doesn't, it, it, it shouldn't be a problem. What do you get, two years, I think a total of $8 million or a total of seven, somewhere around there. Right. When they couldn't do that, I'm like, oh boy. Oh, yeah. oh, oh boy, this is this is real. And now the most recent signing is Xavier Cedeno for $900,000. And my point in bringing this up, Shep, is that I think everything that's been said by Theo and Jed, everything that's been written and thought about with this team, it all has to go back to the necessities of the moment because that has led them to change coaches, to try to change personality, to talk about coaching guys up, to keep an asset like Addison Russell, to um, to hope and pray that Darvish and Chatwood and other guys come back to form. The realities of it were they just couldn't do anything. So then everything else becomes reasoning that they've kind of reverse engineered to fit the situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's it's you thought when Theo Ugh. Epstein met the media right after the season ended and when he called 2019 the year of reckoning and what all was going to come with that, you thought you were set up for an offseason that was going to see creative roster moves, maybe be able to dump some of the salaries that were ill-invested in, whether it's Chatwood or whatever it might have been. There's always the Hayward want to move him. Well, good luck moving that contract. I thought for sure like, we were going to see one of the young position players traded, whether yeah. it was Hap or Schwarber. Mm-hmm. I thought I thought absolutely, or Almora, somebody was going to get moved. Somebody, somebody was the guy they had in mind when they said it's time to start worrying about production instead of potential. Right. Right. You, I mean, there's multiple guys. guys. Like, I mean, you look across the roster, yep. there are multiple guys. Like, mm-hmm. I know Albert Almora was never his offense that was highly touted, but you weren't expecting what he was the second half of last year either. I mean, that guy... What he looked like he had turned a corner and his ability to hit right-handed pitching the first half of the year, I mean, that went completely away yeah. the second half of the year. Kyle Schwarber, you, some people want to blame it on the home run derby, all wore him out and wasn't the same after. I mean, yeah. it wasn't just this, not the same. Like He was a nothing, pretty much, second half of last season. There's that part. Addison Russell, I mean, before you even mix in the off-the-field issues, the guy was supposed to be, he was hyped to be, oh, he could be Barry Larkin. Well, yeah. hopefully that uh, gets people to relax on some of their uh, estimates on what prospects can be sometimes. Well, because Barry Larkin, he, what? What's interesting uh, is that Larkin. In, <laughs> in 2017, Gene Larkin, in, in, in 2017, Addison Russell was in absolute chaos at the plate. Mm-hmm. Absolute chaos. And I remember like being up there in the press box talking to people like, you know, people are, are, are being kind to him. Has anybody noticed he hasn't had a plan at the plate right. all year long? Like, what is he actually doing? Is he working? Working counts? Is he not working counts? Is he is he attacking spots? What is he doing? And like he looked like he was absolutely lost and in chaos and immature as a hitter. And it turns out there was all kinds of stuff going on at home wasn't, that year too. Wasn't just as a hitter. He, he was in chaos and immature as a human. And it, that that has come to roost. So you know, look, if you're just looking at the baseball side of it, is there a chance that 
you know, some stability in the life side can lead to a little stability on the baseball side. Possibly. Nobody wants to think about it that way because right. it feels a little dirty to even just go right. there. You know, it's but but I, I remember how ugly and chaotic it was in all of 2017. But yeah, point being, you thought there was going to be a lot more moves. There have not been. And they're relying on factors that they believe in, like coaching them up, like personality mix, like angry guys after a season that ended the way they didn't want. Mm-hmm. They're relying on a bunch of those factors and they do believe in them. But to see them relying on them that much makes people very uncomfortable. Yeah, uncomfortable. And you look at it and it's – I can see bounce-back years mm-hmm. for a guy, a couple guys. But having the expectation that everyone's just going to, okay, well, that's our core. That's our young core that was brought up and they are going to all have bounce-back years. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're setting yourself up for – I don't want to say disaster, disaster strong, but you're setting yourself up for failure in terms of it being in this window where you think you're a prime World Series contender year right. in and year out, and you're in this until Chris Bryant's contract's up. Like, this is a year that feels feels a lot for not. Remember we, we used it, to tell people they had to zoom out? I mean, that was my big thing, especially 2011, 12, 13. Like, okay, zoom out. Um, just expand, widen your focus. Don't just look at the big league club, which is full of uninspiring people. Mm-hmm. Look what's happening in the minors. Look what's happening in the development. Look what's happening in the draft. Look what's ha- look what they're doing as they restructure the organization. If we zoom out right now, we'll look back on this year as one year in the middle of this window in terms of what is hopefully a five to six year potential winning window. And this will be the year we look at and say, wow, they really had to take a breath financially. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't do anything. Did it work? I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work. I know that they're going to be profitable as an organization. No doubt. I know and that I know that they're going to be pretty good. It should be pretty good. Um, and I know that Wrigley's going to be packed, and it should be a fun summer and all of those things. But did they get aggressive this particular year? No. But as, as we zoom out, when we look back on it, it's just going to be – you know, they got a, a, what, 60, 70 million coming off the books at the end of this year. They'll get active again next year. Yeah. Sometimes you have no choice but to take a breath, and that's where they are. Yeah. Zobrist's deal comes off the books Lester. at the end of this year. That's like 15-ish million mm-hmm. dollars. Lester, is Lester at the end of this season or next? Was it five so. or six years? 15, I forget 16, what exactly 70, it was. 18, yeah, I think it's this year. Okay. End of so this that's year for Lester. a significant amount there, too. Mm-hmm. But then it's also... Also, I mean, those by, guys are, are are good. Right, yeah. Zobrist was a surprise piece last year. They had a great bounce-back year. Lester, we thought that, okay, well, Lester's career looks like it's finally that arm starting to wear out, and he just keeps relearning how to pitch different ways and uh, get guys out, and he was a horse in the in the wild-card game against Colorado, which is too bad no offense showed up. 312-644-6767 is the phone number. Zach and Mike uh, and Tony at LaGrange Park. We'll get you guys on next, uh, but if you want to hop in, there are a couple phone lines over. Open 6711 if you want to text us. As we're, uh, we're talking Cubs to start off here, but we will be all over the place for the next two hours and 40 minutes or so. Shep, there's one thing I think I can count on, and you tell me if I'm being ridiculous, but there's one thing I feel like I absolutely can count on going into this Cubs season. You? Ridiculous? Yeah. No way. No. Never would have guessed it. It's, uh, it's definitely, definitely the case. Keep it right here on 670 The Score. Welcome back in on 670 The Scar. It's Matt Spiegel and Nick Shepkowski. Um, I think we have to suck in order to live up or live down to the legacy of Steve Rosenblum. Do we have to? 
You know what? I mean, we could just raise the bar for a weekend and see what happens. Just for today. Just for today. Nobody tell Rosenblum. We're not going to suck. Just for today. <laughs> yeah. It means some of our regular guests aren't going to come on. Oh, how unfortunate. <laughs> I'm sorry for them. And I'm sorry for you if you've been looking forward to the regular suckage guests. I love, the, I love where Rosenblum is. Steve Rosenblum is at a destination engagement. Hope, is, hope the person involved is not listening. <laughs> No, I think California, I think everybody knows. So, well, actually, no, it's a good, it's a good point. Maybe not. <laughs> That's a good point. Do we know the engagement has happened? Do we know? Oh, my God. No. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's a, I think you're right. I think it's a surprise engagement, but then, like, all the family's going to show up. Yeah. Yeah. Most of them are. But then the whole family's <laughs> going to be there. Hey, look, our whole family's here to celebrate the thing. Right. You know, I doubt they're listening. Maybe they're like, oh, I'm going to check out Dad's show today. <laughs> oh, well, how about that? He's not not so there. much the case. Who's this jackass? Interesting. Just broke the news about the kid. That's <laughs> all right. My bad. All right. Can we dump the last 90 seconds? Do we have a 90-second dump button? That would have been used a lot, even just this week right here on The Score. Although, I don't know. I haven't been around. What are, what are people talking about this week? This Things, week? Stuff? Um... Let's see, still a little bit of reaction from the PAX interview, first part of the week. Yeah, there's still some reaction from that. Uh-huh. Um, other hot, t- obviously yesterday, Russell and Kaepernick news that came out yes. was huge for yesterday. Yes. And then the Blackhawks acting like a team that might be making a little push here to play in the postseason. Looking to salvage the winter for the winter tenants. Yeah. And they might get bounced in four games if they do even uh, scratch and claw their way into the playoffs. But well, it's a heck of a lot better than a lot of this winter has gone sports-wise. That's here. true. It's uh, it's an awfully low bar. Um, all right, so here's what I'm counting on for the Cubs season. You tell me if I'm crazy. I'm counting on Chris Bryant to be as good as you would assume that he will be. He is going to be healthy and dominant and awesome. He I, I, He should, every year of his life, as a baseball player, he has been every year, except for this past year when he was hurt. And what really scared me was the fact that when he was hurt the first time, and especially the second time, he messed with his mechanics. Mm-hmm. He screwed around with stuff so he could try and stay on the field. It was somebody's idea within the um, you know the training part of the organization. Go ahead and take off that top hand on your follow through. Go ahead and take that off as you finish your swing. He said, "Okay, I'll try to do that." It 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 didn't. Didn't didn't work. The power wasn't there. He admitted finally, eventually, to a lack of comfort. And I just love what he did in the offseason, which is nothing. Yeah. No swinging. He said it was the longest he ever went in his life without swinging a bat. Just let it completely heal. And then he resumed and slowly crept his way back in. And by the time the convention had come around, he was saying that he was back up to, what is, is it, 300 swings a day? Something like that. Something like that. Some crazy number of swings a day. But he was back up there and feeling 100% like himself. So he's not redesigning his swing here in the midst of his prime. He just really had a chance to stop and heal, and he's going to be back. Yeah, and I mean, each year that he's been healthy in a big league uniform. In I any mean, uniform. He won a rookie of the year. He won an MVP. He, he won a, a college was, player of the year, a minor league player of the sure. year. Sure. Like, he's been top tier, absolute top tier his entire career, whatever mm-hmm. level of baseball it's been. I don't think that's far-fetched at all. No, I don't think that's ridiculous. Yeah, right. I am interested in the simply is rest enough for it. Is this going to be something that flares up a bit as the season wears on August-September run? 
I say that it's going to come down to you assume that the division's going to come down to the last couple of days of the season right. again. No, I, I hear you. Like, like is, is this, this something... going to be something that because it was simply rest, not going under the knife, not any of that? Yeah, that comes back up midway later on in the season would be my one. But there's no reason to think that no. Chris Bryant, if he goes into spring training healthy, he goes into opening day healthy. Yeah, he's a top 10 player in the entire league. Well, it's it was clear that just the basic mechanics of his swing made the injury worse mm-hmm. when he came back. The question, and I think you're asking, is do the mechanics of his swing, would they lead to a recurrence of the injury? And I think that answer is logically no. Now, now that we know that it was he hurt himself and mm-hmm. that his swing made it worse because he didn't rest enough either time. And at the end, he was just trying to be a part of things as they're trying to hold on to the division. Now, I don't think, the, thankfully, I don't think the swing leads to that injury. It was the slide that led to the sure. injury, then the swing made it worse. Yeah, I hope. Uh, it's, I hope that's the case. Yeah. Like Because, I mean, you had the quotes that he had last year about just swinging too much and how much batting practice he would take yep. all offseason. And obviously it was a key part of, of his plan for 2019 in order mm-hmm. to come into camp healthy. And as Texter points out, he was having maybe the best five, yeah. six weeks of his life before that injury. Mm-hmm. So he, yeah, was, he was off to a great start, yep. power-wise, numbers-wise, everything. Bottom of the hour is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. The Chicago Wolves have been providing affordable win hockey for 25 years. Celebrate tomorrow at 3 as the Wolves host the Iowa Wild at Allstate Arena. Enjoy free parking courtesy of Kia and discounted concession items. Visit ChicagoWolves.com. This is Zach in Wheaton. Zach, you're on the score with Speaks and Shep. What's up, man? Uh, kind of just to build off what you were just saying, I do think a lot of these projections are kind of forgetting about Bryant and how great Bryant is. And so, and that's what is so frustrating for me personally for both sides of town. I feel like the north side is really, there's no reason that they can't be spending a little bit more money than what what they're saying they can. I mean, the amount of money they're making, I know they don't want to go into tax, but at the same time, the amount of money they make, they can easily spend whatever they want. And then on the south side, of course they got to overpay a little bit for Machado when you've been the type of franchise you've been. I mean, it's kind of like what the Nationals had to do with Jason Worth, the change their culture and bring in a winning culture they had to completely overpay but Machado's 10 times the player worth was at the time so it's like it's just I feel like both sides of town are you know people are saying the Sox are being smart for not bidding against themselves but at the same time they need they need a superstar in there and this is their chance and I feel like if they don't get him they'll lose out but you know they won't get anybody and then the Cubs have another you know maybe two three year window and they're you know, kind of just let it go by the wayside. So it's kind of frustrating for me personally. You see, seem you yeah. seem you seem legitimately interested in both teams doing well in this town. Is that true, Zach? Oh, yeah, that that is. I uh, I'm a huge baseball fan. I Look love at baseball. That. I go I go to about you know five they, to ten games a year for both both teams. They exist, Shep. The, these people exist. Not everybody has to fall prey to the. The, the base tribalism that dominates these kind of conversations in our town. God bless you, Zach. Enjoy both ballparks. Well, it's funny. We take Zach's call there. I mean, not more than a week ago, I took a call that a, a caller was very upset the love the White Sox farm system was getting. It didn't compare to what the Cubs system was in 2014. I don't know what they're talking about. So we're comparing farm systems four or five years apart. Jim Callis, thanks for your call. Just like, so you get both extremes. It's, hey, it's John Manuel from Baseball America on my phone. It doesn't compare. Oh, why do you keep talking about that? They don't have this. 
Well, it's still a good farm system. Might not be number one. Uh, still a pretty damn good farm system. That's with, awesome. With a combination of arms and position players as well. Farm system shaming. <laughs> Rebuild shaming. Your rebuild's not going to go as well as the Cubs one went. That's right. Well, no, your tank job wasn't uh, wasn't as great as this one. <laughs> I guess everything gets graded in it. No, yeah. I, like I, I would like it more if the White Sox were competitive this year. I don't think they're going to be over competitive for their division. But it just is. It's nice when you have baseball going on in your home city that's meaningful. Oh, really? And it's baseball. just like these two teams in my life. I don't even know. I can count on one hand. I'm sure. The times they've been, forget playoff worthy, even been sniffing the postseason post All Star break, mm. both in the same year. Mm-hmm. Like even been in contention oh, God, in the same year. That's like so 2008 is the only year it was that they've both actually gone. And God, you blinked and they were both gone because the Rays obliterated the Sox. The Cubs got embarrassed by the Dodgers and voila, it was over. But it's just. Those teams, neither of them ended up having a big time sustainability. Oh, like when the yeah. Sox were good in the early '90s, those Cubs teams were disastrous. Like the '93 Cubs were the only one in a decent window there mm-hmm. that finished above 500. And it just was like when one was decent, the other was brutal. '98, the Cubs go to the playoffs. The Sox had signed Albert Bell, and Bell wound up being great statistically, but that team wasn't any good. It's just so rare that mm. you get both of them being interesting and being not even in the playoffs, but just being no, in the I discussion feel to how about how about relevant in August? Yeah. You know? Um, 2003 and 2004, White Sox were a second-place team, eventually obviously doing what they did in 2005. But they were a second-place team, a viable team, over 500 for three years in a row, 02, 03, and 04, while the Cubs obviously were, were very good and seemingly on the precipice of, uh, of, of some greatness until the 2004 thing turned super ugly yeah. uh, towards the end. But, yeah, man, oh, I feel you, just double... Dual relevance in a baseball August is is a beautiful thing. Even just a baseball July. Mm-hmm. I'll take dual dual relevance in a baseball July. Just be fun to get into the back half of summer, the back parts of summer. And, mm-hmm. Okay, both teams are interesting. There's a Sox game tonight and feel like you got to watch it, got to be on top of it because it's got playoff implications, standings implications, mm-hmm. not just oh, tanking for Third pick in the draft instead of the fourth pick in the draft. Well, what like year? Those, what what oh, year did we um? What year did we pencil in for the uh, the White Sox Cubs World Series when the White Sox embarked on this rebuild? I think twenty twenty one, twenty 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 or twenty twenty one. Yeah, one of those. Okay, so, so still in play. Yeah, <clears throat> Theo's final year, his final year of the second five year contract in twenty twenty one. A little send off, a little little cross town yeah. World Series. Right, wins a cross time World Series and then rides off into the sunset and Jeff right. Hoyer takes over. Right. So he goes That's the plan, he right? He goes west and he takes over Paramount Entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a fair bet. Oh man, it's so much fun to think about what his next job could be. Because it could be absolutely anything. Anything he yeah. wants to do. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like, that's. You want to run for that. office? Okay. Go do that. I Go pro- run a political party's office. I do promise not to do. Right. I promise not to share any green room pictures of drunkenness if that happens. I, I hereby promise not to, not to get in the man's way. All right, maybe, maybe you should. Maybe you should. <laughs> you could be that guy. Depends, probably, depends on what it is. Probably those pictures a lot to the paparazzi. Uh, 670, the score is where you are. He's Nick Shepkowski. I'm Matt Spiegel. Let's talk about something you're looking forward to tonight, I, I think. Or maybe it's just the idea of it you're looking forward to. We'll do it next on The Score. You got 670, the score. 
Matt Spiegel, Nick Shepkowski, hanging out with you on a Saturday. I'm in for Rosenblum, or is Shep in for Rosenblum? Then I'm in for myself. We're just flies in the Vaseline of your, your weekend. It's all we are, Shep. So, is that the song by Kansas? All uh, we are are flies in your Vaseline. Sure. Stone Temple, Kansas. <laughs> yes, absolutely. The Kansas Pilots. Um, NBA does All-Star Weekend right, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. They have fun. Yes. They have fun. And Which is what an All-Star game and All-Star Week should be. The, yeah, the whole the whole thing is is pretty fun. I I have watched the Rising Stars Challenge before. I did not last night. Um, I love the three-point contest. I've watched the Skills Challenge. I've I've given quality time to the skills challenge. Have you done that in your life? I have. I, I don't know if I've ever sat through an entire one. Watched a couple of people go, or a couple of what did they make the little teams go? Like I've watched that, but I yeah, don't know. that one doesn't quite do it the same for me. Okay, and then much more of a three point contest. And I don't know, twenty years ago was the dunk contest, but that's even it's pretty hit or miss these days. Do you think so? I mean, it, it's been pretty. It's been pretty damn good. It's been better. Recently, like Blake Griffin, when he brought out the car and dunked over the car, mm-hmm. all with the Kia, um, whatever that was, yeah. like that was cool, and that kind of like started the prop phase. Who was it that jumped? And when they're dunking, they blow out the candle on the cupcake on top of the rim. <laughs> like it, like brought out this era of all of these different props, which was fun. And then there was the obviously the, the Zach Levine one see, a few years that's ago. The one. That our own Zach absurd. Levine, our own Zach Levine, when he won, and he, I don't think he should have won. I think that was Aaron Gordon's Aaron night. I mean, and that 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 was absurd. So it's it's been pretty consistently. I did dunk from like a foot within the free throw line and went between his legs and whatever the heck else he did. You can't air with that. Like it was. You can't defend Zach Levine's win and rip MJ's win from all those years ago. If in MJ Chicago. would have gone, I know. I mean, if he would have scored from the free throw line. And he throwing did. the ball, I know, but throwing the ball under his legs like Levine did when he won, it's just that Jordan did the same dunk he literally did a year ago to close it out. And it's just, okay, it's cool, but it's zero points for originality. I, uh, I'm dying on that hill. 1988 basketball talk from Chicago Stadium. Well, Let's that's, go. That's hot stuff. Um, I thought Kenny Skywalker was a, a gift winner the next year after that, before Dominique uh, took the crown again in 1990. Um, all right, so Donovan Mitchell, Glenn Robinson the third. I I don't remember. Um, I don't remember. Nate Glenn Robinson, Robinson had a run, didn't he? Was that yeah. like the early 2000s, mid 2000s? Absolutely. Nate like Robinson's run, was, run. Was, was was great. I don't remember that John Wall won. Can you picture John Wall winning a dunk contest? Can he even dunk anymore? I'm going to guess that that's the last dunk contest John Wall will win. Oh, career. and Dwight Howard. Really going on a limb. Dwight Howard, back when there was a chance he was going to become likable, and he did not in 2008. Back when Dwight Howard was still young enough for, for you to think, you know what, I think he's going to be all right, this guy. He's going to be a good person. No, 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 he's not. Jason Richardson had a run. Um, but sorry, you're a dunk contest guy more than you are a home run derby guy? Yeah, I, I think that, like, in terms of pure fight, at least through childhood, for me, I was much more about the dunk contest than I was the home run derby. Like, the home run der- derby, if you remember, it was replayed. It was mm. done during the day, and they'd show it on the Monday night with 
a stadium that's a third full and it's like, wait, oh, that's why right. is this recorded that. and whatnot? And like, but it, as a kid, like the dunk contest, like that was the all-star weekend you looked forward to was NBA all-star weekend, three point shootout. Mark Price would be winning it seemingly every year. I remember the year I was devastated. Glenn Rice beat Reggie Miller in the finals and I was not happy, not pleased about that one whatsoever, but it's like all-star Saturday night, even more than the all-star game. Like that was the, okay, you get to see the guys and the mm. competition shooting threes and you get to see the dunk contest and I mean the peak of it and it's never been the same for me afterwards because the year that this guy did this it was like watching an alien come to earth and just be such an advanced species compared to everything else that I'd seen and done before but when Vince Carter did what he did in 2000 it was just like well this is dunk contests are kind of over for the foreseeable future because he is so far out ahead of anything else that's out there. Like his dunk contest were per- performance was nothing short of absurd. I need to go and back. I like need to go back and watch so that. Good and so much better than anything we had seen previously. Forget just his competition that year, but anything else we had seen previously. They're just like this is this is foreign, man. That was um that was during an era when everybody was trying to find that quote next Jordan. Like every year you'd look around and sometimes the dunk contest would be a moment for, you know, Harold Miner, baby Jordan to, to win it in 1995 or maybe Oof. Isaiah Ryder, Cedric Sabalos. But like it, you were looking around, who is that guy? Who's that six, six guy, that big guard who just can jump out of the freaking gym. And, and Vince was as close as we got for a while there. Um, other than Kobe, who did every mannerism and stuck the yeah, tongue out, tried to and yeah, tried really, to literally kind of be Michael. Yeah, which kind of got to do everything, bizarre. which was which was yeah, yeah, which was odd. And I, I hope he's dealt with those issues in therapy because <laughs> that was it was it was incredibly <laughs> obvious for everybody, and I understand why. You know, yeah, we all modeling grew up yourself that way. after the greatest of all time is that's not a bad. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's not a bad mountain to try to climb. So, how old are you when, when Vince Clark, Vince Vince Clark, um, it's a friend of mine, a musician, when Vince Carter's doing that in two thousand, fourteen years old, fourteen. So it's like you're the your early years of your teens, mm-hmm. and it's it's the peak of stars being stars and all of that, and it's yeah, it was just Vince Carter, and I don't think that the and looking it up right now. Yeah, the year before was the shortened season due to the lockout, so mm-hmm. there's no All Star game. Two years before that. They canceled the dunk contest because in 1997 in Cleveland, that's historically gone down as like the worst dunk contest of all time. Uh No one was even making dunks, let alone doing anything special. A rookie, Kobe Bryant, won it. Um, So it was like nice. It comes back. All the dunk contest is back. And then you get Vince Carter to do that, which was just... I mean, it was absurd compared to anything else that had been out there. Like Isaiah Ryder, when he went under his leg and did like the slam the one year to win it. I forget which year it was, 1994 in Minneapolis. Uh, Minneapolis, I'm pulling it up right now. Mm-hmm. Like that was so cool for the time. And then you watch what Vince does, and he has someone bounce him the ball. Actually, Tracy McGrady bounces him the ball. He does it in midair. He catches the ball, does the same thing, and brings down the dunk, and his arms like hanging halfway into the rim. Like, holy cow. This is this is different and freaking awesome. And then Vince was done with dunk contests after that. Well, what's amazing is that he's not he's not done with the NBA yet. I know at, at age forty two, and that's that that's incredible that he's still 
that he's still rolling and still actually playing and being fairly decent. Um, Kareem at age 40. Was Kareem the best over 40 NBA player of all time? At age, at age 40, Kareem was still hitting skyhooks and was still, you know, um, uh, hobbling up and down the court, but was still a, a part of some damn good teams along the way. I, I, I would bet it, it, it's pretty rare, pretty rare in the NBA for guys to play into their 40s. We, we've seen it in baseball many, many times. We've seen it in football a little bit with Tom Brady mm-hmm. right here. Doesn't happen a whole lot there, that's for sure, and we all celebrate it like crazy. But is Vince Carter getting enough love for what he's doing these days and just actually physically still playing the game? Yeah, I mean, what he plays, what, 15, 20 minutes a night for Atlanta right now. He's part of the... Not the core, obviously, with that team, but mm-hmm. he's the veteran leadership that's supposed to set the example for the rebuild they're going through and teach his teammates how to be pros and how to be NBA players and how to go about the business side of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, Vince Carter is an awesome documentary on him right now on Netflix, too. Oh, I've seen it. It's just uh, about an hour long, and it's just about how the Raptors were an afterthought in Toronto when they came had people that didn't know a damn thing about basketball watching these games of just, okay, well, I don't understand these rules. This is different to me. And then Vince Carter comes, and he changes the entire outlook of basketball all across Canada, and it goes into detail of how he was that big of an influence. And you're seeing, whether it's with JT Barrett from Duke now, um, who was the first overall pick a couple of years ago out of Kansas, um, that was from Canada, and how much of an influence that he was just on them for simply playing for the Raptors instead of playing for an American team. Uh, other names I just searched right here, in terms of best 40-plus-year-old NBA. Yeah, yeah, so hold on, because... I- Let's look. See, I just looked at this. How many? And I don't know. Now you're looking at it. I don't know. Zach Withers, grab a microphone. You haven't looked at it. Zach Withers, if I were to tell you, um, if I were to ask you the total number of players in NBA history who've ever been 41 years or older, the total number of guys 41 or older who've ever played in the NBA. I guess three. All right, that's low. 41? I was going to say 12. 10. 10? 10. 10 is still lower than I thought. Still lower than I thought. I mean, baseball is is freaking littered with them. Yeah, baseball's a ton. Hockey has a ton. Yes. Like, football, not a ton, but you're seeing quarterbacks, at least, extend their careers that way. And Mm Daryl Green. Is Daryl Green still a Washington Redskins, by the way? He was like 56 when he retired, wasn't he? He was Uh, Julio Franco of the NFL. This is a a very high list, a a big list. These are guys, NFLers over 40, um... I'm looking at, God, at least 40 guys on this list here. A bunch of them are kickers, but not all of them. Sure. Lots of quarterbacks who got to 40 and kept going a little bit. Matt Hasselbeck, Joe Ferguson, Vince Evans, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, there you go. Came all the way back around with the uh, the Oakland Raiders. So, But 10 guys at age 41 or older for have played in, in NBA history, oldest being Nat Hickey. Kevin Willis, the second oldest man in the history of the oh, NBA. Robert Parrish. Robert Chief. Robert Chief. Dikembe Mutombo, Vince Carter, Kareem, Bob Cousy, Herb Williams at center, uh, John Stockton, and uh, Charles Jones. That is your entire list of NBA guys who played at 41 or older. That's crazy. Like, I would have guessed, I I don't know, I I don't know. I guess I guessed 12, but after I heard Zach guess three, okay, well, maybe it's lower than I'm thinking. Um, I figured it had to be low because it was being asked. Oh, right. Yeah, like most, I, I was being dramatic about it. Sure. Screw you and your context clues, Withers. <laughs> I remember having a basketball card of Moses Malone when I was like eight or nine years old when he was mopping up the rest of his career with the San Antonio Spurs oh, very God. briefly. 
And he was the best. Like seeing, like okay, it's Malone. Oh, it's Moses Malone, and just being like, oh, it's not the real Malone. Carl Malone's the real Malone, and not understanding. How because, dare you? Say. Yeah, listen, trust me. I know now. Jeff Malone would like a word with you as well. <laughs> I know now, but at that time in my life, I was like, who's this old dude? Like this card sucks. Oh, <laughs> you shut your dirty whore mouth. My God, Moses but he just was. So uh, he looked, he oh. was 39. I just pulled it up. He was 39 when he played with the Spurs. You could have told me he was 49 and I would have believed you. I'm convinced that Moses Malone could block out people with his shoulders better than most people could with their their butts and their entire mm-hmm. bodies. Like he just would use his shoulders and completely box out people. And that dude, he also, I'm convinced, used to give himself an extra three or four rebounds every game. <laughs> just like grab one, throw it off the yeah. backboard in the rim, go up and grab it, go up and grab it again just a couple of yeah. times. Shooting percentage takes a hit, but the Right. Rebound numbers go up. Chances know? of the double-double increase, at least, and you have those uh, to compile up by the end of the year there. Was he the first guy to go high school straight to the pros? Is that um, what that deal was? One of them. Him? Well, Spencer Haywood was hardship, right? Spencer Haywood, I think he was the first guy to go out of college early. Was okay. Spencer Haywood. You might be right about, about Moses. Maybe there's somebody. I mean, I just early. know. Yeah. Daryl Dawkins do it as well? Mm, Chocolate be. Thunder? I think so. I know. I know Moses was early. Doing that, that is for sure. We're bringing up a lot of things. Um, if only we had um, the the Minister of Information, Nick Shepkowski, producing the show. He could look this stuff up. But, yeah. well, wait a minute. Research projects on the air. Those are always fun. <laughs> it's always a good thing to do. He's hosting. He's hosting. <laughs> he can't talk to you right now. Yeah, I've come a long way, haven't I? It's true. Um, I spilled my coffee. Can you clean it up, babe? Shep! Coffee spilled in the hallway. Get it, babe. Oh, that's bad. That's bad. <laughs> that's the worst Spiegel impression I've heard today. <laughs> Where's Spat? Where's Spat Meagle? <laughs> wow, that Get him fun. on the phone. Uh-huh. Hey, man. Oh, he's enjoying probably, some vibes. He's probably yeah. in Cali. He's probably in Cali, Cali. enjoying Cali. some vibes. 670, the score is where you are. Matt Spiegel, Nick Shipkowski with you. Will Purdue next hour. <clears throat> some more baseball things to get to as well. And, um, and, and, and some technological advancements on the baseball field that I just, I wish I could watch. I wish I could watch. We'll talk about it next on the score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.